Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvest in Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today, as I move the microphone away from me and probably make sound, and Corey's going to be upset at me, uh, I am going to be visiting with a special guest, excited to, to talk uh, food. As many of you know, it's probably one of my favorite topics in the world, um, but also lots of other things I'm sure we're going to get into, so we'll go there. But first, let me give you some quick updates on what's happening uh, sort of in my world. So since the last podcast, I'm trying to think back because I think we skipped a week of recording um, due to some holiday stuff. But I uh, have been been busy. Uh, I was out hunting uh, here last weekend. And an interesting story is that uh, missed a deer on the last day of the season, which not not a total bummer, but I mean a little bit of a bummer. But I, I've got a good freezer stock going from a Wyoming trip. But uh, definitely interesting scenario the way it played out. I found the deer. I'm like trying to determine if this is a uh, legal buck or not because in Colorado they have to be uh, five inches or better. If they're under five inches on the antlers, it's considered uh, a doe or antlerless, I guess. Which is crazy because then you start thinking about ear lengths and stuff like that. We went through the whole thing in uh, in antelope season with a young antelope buck of like the ears were exactly the height of the antlers or horns, I guess. Uh, antelope have horns. Um, and in doing some research, antelope's ears can be four and a half to five inches. So it's like you're either under or you're like over. So we didn't risk it. Um, and we, we have a whole episode we recorded on that, but in the same scenario here where I was trying to determine and, and close some distance on this, uh, deer bedded down with a couple other deer and realized he was forky. But at the same time I realized he's a forky, I hear a, <coughs> and I'm like, what? And I look up and up on this ridgeline, there's like four hunters standing there, probably like 500 yards away from me looking over this valley that I'm in. Cause I came in from a different way, but 
they didn't see the deer because the deer were behind a ridge where they were. And so I like gave him a signal. I was like, Hey, there's, there's four deer. Nobody could see me holding up the number four, but, uh, there's, there's four deer and I pointed and they saw me through their binos and they all sat down. And then, uh, an, un, an unseen doe got a little spooked and jumped them. And, uh, which was okay. Cause mule deer run and then stop. And so, uh, I, I took a shot at this deer right at the edge of my comfort zone, probably like 300 yards and, uh, whiffed the shot, but a clean, a clean miss is a good miss because the deer lives to fight another day, but I always value sharing the good and bad of my hunting stories. So there's that. Uh, I then walked around a bit in the snow and then, uh, made my way back down the large mountain slash hill I was at and fell like three times so it's probably a good thing I didn't have to pack it out or otherwise I would have been falling a lot more um that's a quick story on other great news my my daughter Zoe who was on the podcast uh last episode actually completed hunter's ed this weekend I'm super proud of her she's 10 she passed the test uh did her shooting um all that stuff got an 82 Super proud dad moment. The most stressful part of the whole thing. So I set in with her, and uh, it's funny because I, I posted some about Facebook. Is the instructors had some interesting food perspectives, and like obviously didn't I didn't speak up and make my background known. I guess I probably should have, but uh, I don't think it was the place for it or the time because people are there to learn about hunters ed, not like cooking wild game. But uh, there was a, a guy there that knew me, and he looked back when they made these comments. One was. If you think something may be wrong with the meat, cook it all the way through. And I was like, no, no, that's not. There's like cooking temperatures and safe cooking methods and things like that. Like don't just cook everything well done and think it's going to be okay. And then second was, oh, you can't age wild game. It's not the same as beef. It doesn't have the same enzymes and all this. And I I snickered to myself and uh, needless to say, I don't know, I think – I think I'm going to reach out to the state and, and maybe see, uh, somebody suggested on Facebook, they're like, why don't you put together like a small cooking module and like, see if the States will pick it up and incorporate it. And so I don't know, maybe we'll do that. Who knows? Sky's the limit. Um, and then this weekend coming up, uh, going up to Northwestern Colorado to go play in the snow again and chase elk. It's, uh, opening of fourth rifle season tomorrow here in Colorado. So I am going to try to fill my elk tag along with a friend um, who's got an elk tag too. So we'll see how it goes. It's Thanksgiving, turkey, elk, ski slopes, and probably more snow than I want to deal with. But it'll be an adventure. And uh, let's see. So fall edition of Harvesting Nature magazine. Many folks are probably wondering where that's at. I too uh, have these questions, but nonetheless, it should be out in the next week or so. Uh, we hit some roadblocks uh, with some some formatting and editing stuff, but it'll be out here very, very soon. We're happy to get it shared out with everyone. And then all of our spice blends are out. Yay! So we have five total spice blends now that run the gambit of big game, small game, fish, upland fowl, waterfowl, and uh, we've got a special a special pack that we'll be releasing in December that uh really excited about I've been working uh working pretty diligently on this project so it'll be cool but uh definitely excited to see all our spices out so go over to the website check them out uh for your seasoning pleasure that sounds weird but whatever (laughs) and then um 
Also, too, we released our, our full lineup of wild pig camps. I say full lineup. There's two uh, for 2023. That is now up on the website as well. You can go book a spot there. Uh, they're limited to 12 people each. Uh, great thing to go to down in Texas and learn how to shoot, hunt, cook, butcher, process, not necessarily in that order, but wild pigs. It's a great thing. Help out, help out the Texans with their pig problem. Um, and have some fun and learn how to do some cool things. We also, too, new thing we started incorporating is uh, Jesse Griffith's book, The Hog Book. We're giving that as a gift to every attendee, and then we're teaching from it as well during a portion of our, our camp. So uh, big kudos to Jesse, James Beard, award-winning author, uh, which is pretty, pretty excited to support some of his work because that book's phenomenal. Um, all right. Well, that's that's enough of me talking solo. I'm going to introduce our guest. So our guest is a former chef, hunter, angler, businesswoman, and adventurer. Her love for cooking and the outdoors collided when she packed a heavy cast iron pan into the backcountry. That's when she realized that if she was going to enjoy a great adventure and a great meal, she was going to have to find a solution for packable meals. And that's how Gastronome got its start. Shannon Waters... Welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, super happy to have you. Uh, I know we've been chatting about this for like two years uh, <laughs> yeah. s- since we first met up at Rendezvous. And I was going to uh, sort of tell everybody kind of how we met because I think it's funny that uh, Zoe became the biggest fan of Gastronome, at least I think the biggest fan in the state of Colorado, I'll say that. Um yeah, my parents are there, so I don't know. Oh, that's true. I don't know. Are you originally from Colorado? No, Illinois, but my Illinois. parents moved to Colorado and actually headed there in the morning. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah. How we met. Yep, yep. So, um, so, obviously, as I said in the introduction, Shannon uh, is the founder of Gastronome Packable Meals, and um, she had a booth set up at Rendezvous, up at the BHA Rendezvous, which listeners will know I'm a, a huge, huge fan and, and follower and participant, I guess you could call me. But back a couple years ago, we uh, I was doing some cooking up there, and we were hanging out uh, at, at the show, and... And Shannon had this brilliant idea to stash all these little gnomes all over the the event ground space, and then it, you had to basically go find them. And so Zoe was like on a quest to uh, to find all these gnomes, and I think she did. I don't know how many times she came back to your booth. Yeah, there were there were freeze dried ice cream sandwiches on the line, so um, yeah, the, it was a heated competition. That's fair. That's fair. And uh, so then from there we. Uh, this past year, Harvest in Nature set up a booth back at Rendezvous, and Shannon was there again, and we all hung out. And uh, we, despite the cold and the rain, uh, I think had a really good time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah um, we managed to get through that. Yeah, and we'll see how. Uh, are you planning planning to go back this next year? Yeah, and it sounds like there's a mix of indoor outdoor, so I will be looking forward to that. And it doesn't fall in our bear season, which is really nice. Yep. 
Yeah, I think that was a major talking point in the planning. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I think we're going to attend as well, uh, likely have a booth. I don't know how much, and this is probably news to a lot of folks, I'm sure BHA folks do who are listening, but I am i don't know how much cooking I'm going to do this year. Uh, I'm going to take a bit of a break, I think, because it's uh, doing Armed Forces Initiative stuff, cooking, competing, and then running our own booth was uh, – um, a lot, a little interesting last year. So we'll, we'll see. And then I'm taking the family again. They're coming back this year and it's my wife's birthday weekend. So, uh, we're oh, cool. going to go at, up to one of the resorts and hang out, uh, once rendezvous wraps up. So that's going to be a kind of a special treat, but yeah, should it should be a fun weekend. I, I like that weekend for so many reasons, but mostly because there's nothing I can be out hunting instead. <laughs> that's perfect. Nope. Same. Um, well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, sort of where you're from, how you got into the outdoors, all that fun stuff? Yeah, um, some background. So I'm from Illinois, like I mentioned. I grew up uh, sort of the suburbs of Chicago, but was mostly a city rat for my life um, until I moved to Montana. I went from Chicago to New York to San Francisco, and so most of my outdoor experiences were really limited. And, um, if I think about the time that I spent outdoors, it was like surfing and, um, skiing. So nothing really related to the way that I experience the outdoors. Now I still ski, but I backcountry ski. I don't really like to visit resorts. Um, I'm more after the peace and quiet that you can find, um, in the backcountry. So the way that I, found myself hunting was once I moved to Montana, um, and at least being exposed to it really in San Francisco, you don't hear about it. Um, in New York, you don't hear about it that much. And where I grew up, it wasn't really a part of our life. I knew that my brother and my dad had done some bird hunting, but I didn't really know much about hunting in general. So when I moved to Montana, um, it became more a part of the conversation, although I had never engaged in it myself my whole life was food. It was cooking, being in restaurants. And I was very, and still am very passionate about local sourced food and knowing the places that my food comes from. And I never put the pieces together that if I hunted, I could really know where my meat comes from. Um, Mm -hmm. so at some point I was introduced to hunting through my family and that's kind of the, the place that I spend all my time now. Nice. I think that's too, I, I think it's a really awesome, you know, theme or experience or way to get, get into that is from the food aspect. And especially it makes, you know, I'm excited like as a, as a former chef as well, like to hear that that was the pathway for another chef to be like, I learned more about where my food came from and like, it really interests me. So Awesome. Yeah. You know, now it's hard to even imagine buying meat at a grocery store, which is, is quite disconnected from where your food comes from. Um, but even buying direct from a farmer, which I think is wonderful. And I, and I get to do it for work all the time and lots of restaurants that I enjoy going to, that's how they get their meat. But personally, I can't imagine being that disconnected from my food anymore. I know every single piece of meat that I eat where it came from because I, I brought it out on my back. So it's really different, um, level of intimacy with your food at that point. So thinking through, and and I run into this sometimes too, is like, 
in the opportunities or in the times that maybe you do have like domestic meat do you find like a big flavor difference because i i've now grown to kind of struggle with it sometimes depending on the meat i mean yes and no because when i'm eating like let's say chicken i'm not comparing it to a chicken that i harvested on my own because i just don't i don't uh one i don't bird hunt but i don't know where to find chicken um and I like, there's nothing to compare it. Like I wouldn't eat venison that was store-bought. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't really have anything to compare it to. On the flavor profile itself, do I get more excited about working with something where I can think about where this animal was eating, what they were eating, um, and sort of the things that go with that and the season that I harvested it at? 100%. Um, I don't feel that way when I'm like, oh, ground beef, cool. Um, there's, there's like really nothing to get excited about for me versus, you know, thinking about the different parts of the mule deer and how you're going to bring out the best parts and, um, work with that piece of meat. So not in a comparison way, do I think about the flavors? Do I get really excited about flavors when Mm -hmm. I harvest an animal? Yeah. I don't really know that there's anything to get excited about with chicken or like store-bought stuff. It's hard. It's hard to imagine being excited about that. Yeah. It, 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 to me, like it, it like leans more towards I'm eating this because I need to eat. And maybe it's like here, like at my work, we have like a, a cafe there and it's like, sometimes you're busy. Don't take lunch. Like you have to eat. Uh, but it's not like they're serving wild elk or, wild venison or anything comparatively on there it's like unfortunately not a great quality of of any sort of meat but you gotta eat and it's uh yeah but understand definitely more excited to eat eat the wild food and cook with wild food than i am on the other side so yeah i think about it if you're talking about even on like a micro scale if you ever grow your own vegetables like a carrot that you grew in your garden versus the carrot that you buy at a grocery store. Like no matter what you're growing, it's going to taste a lot better Mm -hmm. just because of the, the flavor loss that's happened in transit and the mass commodity that that carrot was and the attention to detail that you have on your one row of carrots and and taking care of them. You're going to notice a flavor difference. Um, But for me, I eat, I eat so little, not wild game. I don't even know where to start on that. That's fair. No, that's uh, that's a good perspective for sure. Um, yeah. So how how has your hunting season been? I know when we talked on the phone initially, you're like, we're super busy. It's like a busy time of the year. But have you had a chance to make it out? Yeah, I mean, I've been out a ton. Um, our so our hunting seasons here, depending on what animal you're after in Montana, can start pretty dang early. And I've been out hunting since August. Um, and I haven't stopped. And I basically said goodbye to my friends in August and I haven't been back. And this, this is, uh, this will be the first weekend that I'm not hunting and it's the close of our rifle season. So mm-hmm. I have been out every single weekend since August. And then I took, uh, two weeks off to hunt. So, uh, yeah, I've been out a ton and it is the convergence of our busy season because people are doing exactly what I'm doing. Um, they're taking time off of work. They're spending every weekend away from home. They don't have time to plan meals. So it's not only the time that I eat a lot of gastronome, it's the time that everybody else is eating a lot of gastronome. 
it makes it difficult for me to step away from work, but at the same time, people, I, me personally, I live for these couple months. So the people that I have in place at work are incredible at what they're doing and they also do the same thing. So I'll come back from a week off and swap places with them and they leave for a week and go hunting. So we have a really nice arrangement there. But yeah, the this hunting season has been spectacularly difficult. And uh, it, it's the first season that I've intentionally gone elk hunting mm-hmm. since I started hunting. Mm-hmm. And um, frustrating is a really light way to put it. I don't know how much cursing you allow on your podcast, but I would string a few together um, <laughs> if I could. And, and all at once, like, beautifully frustrating because I've learned so many lessons this year that other years have have not come up because they've been um, easier to come by or just luckier. And this year I had a lot of challenging moments and a lot of emotional moments. And this last weekend where I did end up killing a mule, mule deer on Friday, I got in the truck and I shut down. I, I like mentally couldn't take it anymore. I could not take going to sleep and knowing that it was going to be negative 14 in the truck where I was going to sleep at night. And I had to wake up in the morning at four in the morning and walk out there and do it again. I had just come back from like a very long hike to nowhere and I was going to do it again. And mentally I was like, I cannot take this anymore. Um, and I knew that morning, like I was going to wake up and I was going to shoot an animal because I just didn't have it in me anymore. So very challenging. The elk piece is a whole story in and of itself. Um, I stopped looking for elk about four weeks into rifle season and switched over into mule deer because the rut was starting and um, everyone wanted to pay attention to that, but a lot learned. And I think that hunting elk for me might take a handful of years to even be successful, but a handful of years to really understand what I'm getting into. And I'm excited about that now. I I say that now. (laughs) I think it's crazy. They say, I don't know who day is. I just heard this from someone, so I'm going to repeat it. Is okay. the the colloquial they uh, say it's like a person harvests an elk like once every five years or something like that. Now, of course, I see these folks I know here in Colorado that harvest elk every year. I am not one of those people. I had a rough elk season last year uh, in multiple states, unfortunately. So. Oh. I I feel your pain and I did one of the probably the most challenging hunts I've ever done and like had to deal with weather and altitude and all kinds of mess that I was just like I can't so um this year's been very different so we'll see how this weekend goes <laughs> yeah yeah there's just I I haven't been hunting long enough to understand that there's going to be seasons where you don't harvest as much as the season before or it's more challenging for totally different reasons than you pictured. Um, each season is going to have its own sort of flair to it. Um, but this is my first season where I'm like, oh, I have more freezer space than I thought I would have at the end of the season. And oh, so, man. yeah, I ate a tag um, in Oregon. I, I'm not going to fill that, but I did go. And this was the first season that I wanted to be choosy about the animal that I shot. Um, I've never wanted to 
really shoot a doe and it's not because I wouldn't eat, like I don't want the meat or appreciate it. it I have a problem killing women. Um, I just think there's something in my DNA that's like, please don't kill a mother or her baby. Um, so I just don't have a desire to do that. But I did want to be selective about the buck that I chose, and that bit me. Um, I passed on a lot of smaller bucks, and by the last day of the hunt, and I knew I was leaving the next day, I was like, I'm probably eating this tag. And oh, never, never had an opportunity after the ones I passed up on. So I'm not sure. It might take me some time to digest that lesson, but that was the basically the start of my season was that, was passing animals and um, realizing that if I was going to pass animals, that meant eating the tag. That's fair. I think I I, I unintentionally ate an archery tag this year. And I was trying to think. Last year, I ate the majority. I only had – I harvested one antelope last year out of, like, probably eight tags. So it was – Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was my first year in Colorado, and I put, like, a lot of my eggs in the basket here, and I bought a Wyoming elk tag, very specific, like – uh, it was off forestry land, so it was state land only in a very small area of Wyoming, and it was like the elk were either on the mountain on the public side or they were on the mountain on the private side, and like the locals so much, like they'll go out in glass, and you can see where the herd's at, and they're like, nope, it's on the private side today, like not going out, but we were there for like four days, so we were like, well, I guess we'll hike up to the top of this mountain and see if they're there. And, you know, we, we got some help from a, a local guy that we met. Uh, here's here's a tip I do. And since you, you're a fellow a business owner, I carry, uh, like, Harvesting Nature stickers in my bino harness. And then when I meet people in the field, I give them stickers and, like, just chat <laughs> with them. And it led to a connection. Like, the guy followed us on Instagram the same day. His name's Cody. Hey, Cody, if you're listening. Hi, uh, and... So he followed us on Instagram and that day he's, you know, I messaged him and was like, Hey man, like, you know, this is Justin. Like I took over the, the, our social media for a little bit and was messaging him, uh, on, on the Harvesting Nature page. And I was like, Hey man, like you, you ran into us like on the top of the mountain today. Like, how'd you guys do? Like we chatted through everything. I was like, let's grab a beer, coffee, whatever. And he's like, Hey, like if you guys want to go back out again, like I'll, I'll, I'll go out with you guys like super great. And I was like, awesome. So a couple months go by and we decide we're going to go back up for the end of the season. And I messaged Cody and I was like, Hey man, like how's the elk herd looking? Have the elk come down from the mountain yet? And he's like, yeah, they come down. Like I've been watching them for the past couple of days. Like let's, let's go out, let's do it. And I was like, all right, cool. We'll be up there in like two days. And so he went out with us a couple times and hung out and I was just like all that over a sticker, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, but no, I, I can definitely relate to some challenging seasons and it, it, why it never stops. <laughs> it never stops. Yeah. And you ask yourself in those times, like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending so much time and energy and emotional toll? Yeah. Um, not to mention like the, the finances that go into being able to do that. And you just, it's like something that's built in. Like you just can't help it. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, I struggle with it too. And that's like, I think one of the reasons I like going to places and going hunting and like part of the reason that we're here in Colorado, uh, you know, for the time that we're here is like, I wanted to come here for the job that I currently have my real job, uh, or my other job, I guess, whichever we want to say it, both are real jobs. But, um, 
but also too, I wanted the opportunity to have like hunting in my backyard to be able to get like, like my mule deer hunt. I drove like an hour and 15 minutes and I'm like there, I don't have to camp or do anything. I can just get up in the morning and go, which is great. Cause I haven't had that since I was like in high school in Oklahoma. So that part's been fun, but I also like to go travel to places like to go to Oregon or go to Wyoming or, you know, go to Texas. Or I think next year I'm going to try to go to like New Mexico and Arizona and go hunt down there some, um, just to switch it up. But part of that too is like, it's a big time investment to go, but I also try to like get that sort of my travel bug satisfied while I'm there as well. And so if it's a complete failure, which it often is, I get to say like, Hey, I had a really good trip to Wyoming. Yeah. Saw somewhere new. Yeah, exactly. So, well, since you mentioned your freezer, this is a fun question that I always like to ask. What's, what's in your freezer now? Anything like we, we, I'm guessing there's a mule deer in there, but any, like any crazy cool things out of the ordinary that you can think of? Um, I have still a little bit of, uh, my black bear from the spring in there. And that is, that's kind of like the wild card that I draw when I'm having, having people over that don't eat a lot of game meat or anything. So black bear. Yeah. That's a good impression point. Um, is there a, a meal that you're looking forward to cooking next or one that you got in your mind? I know it's Thanksgiving coming up. Yeah, luckily for Thanksgiving, I get put on the back burner. It's it's really nice. Um, my dad, who is a lot of the reason why I cook and taught me how to cook for the most part, um, he does a lot of the cooking, and I feel really good about that. We deep fry the turkey, which I will still be dealing with this year with goggles and like full gloves and everything man i see those videos and it's terrifying of like it is terrifying mishaps Um, gone wrong we do we do it outside like very far away from the house and the best part about it is it allows us to go skiing in the day and then you come back and you deep fry the turkey and it takes like an hour um versus you know the whole day affair where you're basting and you've got it in the oven and so we don't do that, which is really nice. But other than that, I don't cook for Thanksgiving. I just like sit back and hang with family. Um, with something that I, I'm on my stove right now, I'm finishing some um, braised deer ribs that mm. I am braising with a fermented broad bean. It's like a Chinese broad bean that I'm going to pull and do a stir fry with tonight. So I'm pretty oh, excited smokes. about like that smell. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. That sounds really phenomenal. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I, I mean, I've heard of that bean. I don't think I've ever cooked with it, especially not fermented. Yeah. It's, it's got like this unctuous, really spicy, really kind of like wild fermented flavor to it. It's super delicious, but I think it goes well with, um, especially deer and mule deer because it's such a powerful flavor. Um, it's really good. Ooh, that's nice. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. 
This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, I do want to continue talking about food a little bit, but I want to get to know uh, Gastronome a little better. Well, I, I know it because I love the food, but I would like for our listeners to get to know it a little better. So where did uh, where did Gastronome all begin for you outside of what I alluded to in the, in the intro? Yeah. So Gastronome is a freeze-dried food company. We make packable meals for really anything where you need a convenient meal. Most often that's in the outdoors. Um, it's not always for me. Like I often eat them on road trips, on planes, driving um, at the office, but they are designed to be eaten outdoors inside the bag. So they're kind of like what we're all used to seeing those freeze dried meals you pour water over and you enjoy. Um, these have an entirely different spin on them. They're made with real ingredients from farms that I personally know and go to and visit. All the meat is meat that I can talk to the ranchers about how it was raised. I can visit the place itself. Um, we try to do as much local sourcing as we possibly can, but there's things like lemongrass that just don't like to hang out in Montana. So That's fair. there are a few far-flung items. Um, but what it does is allow all of our ingredients to be really thoughtful and really great ingredients that you can trust. We don't use all of the things that you're used to seeing um, in freeze-dried meals, like no fake proteins. We don't do protein powder. We don't do the like additive stabilizers, all that dust that you're used to having um, bloat your gut or stop you up or just make you feel bad in general. And those empty calories, all of ours comes from, from real food. Um, and how I got to that place was primarily the culinary world. I started cooking when I was in college just for fun and I had a, a natural knack for it. Um, and when I left school, I graduated with an economics degree and I wanted to go line cook because I had never, I had never cooked. And so I went and did that and I just had a really phenomenal time. I was using ingredients from our family's farm at a fine dining restaurant, like turning, strawberries into like a 20 step beautiful dessert that I, I didn't even know was possible. I was doing things with food that were blowing my own mind and, um, creating something from the dirt that was really cool. So I stuck with it. I went to culinary school in New York after that. I moved to Tennessee to work at Blackberry farm and learn, um, from some of the best chefs in the world. 
and worked in New York doing that and worked in San Francisco doing that. And eventually the lifestyle of being a chef caught up to me. There were everything that you hear in stories like drugs, alcohol, not sleeping, extremely like underfed, overfed, overboozed, like everything you could put in your body and do to yourself was happening. I, I was grinding my teeth so much that my teeth were actually like visibly losing centimeters. Um, I was so stressed. I had hives all the time. It was like an, a pretty unbelievable amount of stress um, working as a chef in San Francisco. And I knew I had to change something. And so I devised a business plan with one of my, my female mentors who reviewed a business plan that I had written to open businesses for other people. And she looked at it and she went through it and had some suggestions, but mainly she looked at me and, and goes, all right, I'm your first client. Can you quit your job? And I was like, what? No, like I've, you know, at this point I'd been working for the same restaurant group for six years and I really loved the people that I worked for and was like, oh no, this was a pipe dream. I can't actually leave being a chef and do this consulting business. Um, we talked through it some more and I talked to my, my bosses at the time. They're like, you should do that. That, that sounds amazing. So I did. And I left the like formal chef scene to be a consultant, which we opened restaurants for other people. And I had a wonderful time doing it. And it brought me to Montana to open a brewery here, which is how I got here. But ultimately, it kept me in the same scene. It kept me where everything was circulating around like this vicious cycle of restaurants. Um, and I continued to look for something else. I searched far and wide for an outlet to feel healthy, to feel um, kind of like myself. And where I found that was the outdoors. And when I was in Montana and experiencing a little bit of the outdoors, I was also still running the consulting business. I had gotten a job teaching at Montana State University and I was teaching in the culinary world. And finally found like what a, what a weekend was. I had never known a weekend. My weekends were like Monday and Wednesday for an hour. Um, and when I had like Friday, Saturday, Sunday to do something is when I first got into the backcountry. That is where I first experienced a freeze-dried meal. And in that moment, in that first bite of a freeze-dried meal, um, I just knew I that it couldn't that couldn't be real. Like people couldn't actually be eating that and calling that food. I was so confused, like opening this bag and reading the ingredients and being like, I'm sorry, what part of this is food? And like, don't we have to get up and do this all over again tomorrow and try to have as many calories to be able to achieve that? Like this is, none of this is real food. I'm going to feel horrible and it tastes awful. Like I'm going to go to bed sad. Um, and we were pretty pretty remote into the backcountry at that point on a pack rafting trip, and um, so we were pretty remote into the backcountry at that point. And I, I, my choices were continue to eat freeze dried food or don't eat, and I chose don't eat. And I knew that entire trip that the minute I got off the river, I needed to find every freeze dried food that existed and see if someone was making edible food, something that would fuel your body with real ingredients and tasted good 
and I got off the river. I did not stop eating freeze-dried food for weeks straight, just trying to find anything that resembled, like, hopefully someone is doing this better. And there was nothing. And I, I was like, couldn't believe it. I was like, please don't make this be my calling. Um, and I, I found out that it was. I bought a dehydrator and was like, okay, I don't know anything about freeze drying, but I could, I know some things about drying food. Let's see if I can do like a meal slightly better. And if it's slightly better, then maybe I can make it a lot better than what's out there. And I made one of our flavors that is currently on our menu, the tigering curry, a, and it's a curry paste that I learned living in Thailand, working in restaurants, made this, put it in a bag, Got on my pack raft, went for like a short overnight, and I got got to the side of the river, sat there, and was like, man, I really hope I'm not that good at this because this would be, this is going to change my life forever. <laughs> and I took one bite and was like, no, this is eons better. I don't even know what I'm doing drying food, and it's eons better than every single thing I've eaten. I have to change what's possible. Um, and then from there, it just snowballed. Like I kept working at the university. I kept my consulting business going for a while. It took almost four years to get off the ground. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, you know, born from the way that I eat food, the way that I cook food, the way that I understand ingredients and nurturing yourself all the way to like finding myself in the backcountry eating a freeze dried meal and not really understanding the disconnect and why no one was making food holy smokes what what an awesome journey like yeah that's wild man um no it's great i'm trying to think so do you think that 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 it all has changed in the larger like freeze-dried community now do you think folks are trying to do better for sure um and the like the best trend that I'm seeing in freeze dried is that people now that they know it's possible to have food that doesn't necessarily need to be 25 years shelf stable, doesn't necessarily need to be loaded with all these stabilizers. People are demanding a cleaner product and not just freeze dried. Like that's across the board. People have mm -hmm. been demanding cleaner products. Um, and freeze dried was kind of the place that we were like, okay, we're willing to sacrifice during this like couple weekends a year we get outside. It's not that bad for us. There's nothing else available. Now people are like, what? We can have clean freeze dried food. Why would we eat anything else? So when the smaller companies have sort of pushed for something like that, now I'm starting to see um, just an overall market change that people are requesting cleaner food and they're going to get it, which is so great to see that overall the bar is being raised i think i mean i can tell the difference and like i've i've eaten certain brands for years and then you know as as i met you i i've made the switch and like can consistently tried to improve my backcountry meals just also too i'm a big snacker those that know me will know i, I enjoy good snacks i keep keep company with friends that enjoy good snacks too so we like snack a lot but i definitely like when you want that meal you're like I really want this and I can relate with you too. Cause I've had, I've sat down and I've eaten a backcountry meal that I'm just like, uh, like I'm, I'm going to eat this because I made it because I know that I need to eat it because I know I'm here for five days and I only have eight meals or, you know, whatever, like I have to, but I like, I like that 
that you did, you saw something that wasn't agreeable or not happy and was like, yeah, I feel the need to make this better. And I'm a, yeah, like it's cool. Yeah. It, I mean, the other option was I stopped going into the backcountry, So I needed the, I needed to fix it, not just for everybody else, but for me, like I yeah. can't agree to eat that food. I would never do that on my own time in my own house, in my real life. I would never do that. Why would I do that in the backcountry? Like, no. I think it's a, it's a good, it's definitely a good thought too about like not sacrificing and sort of changing. And like you mentioned earlier, it shows, shows a mental shift sort of in the, the greater food scene or food culture, whatever we want to say, you know, cause think back what, 15, 20 years ago and like processed foods, canned foods, reheatable meals, TV dinners. Like I grew up with all those things and like, yeah. I, I would not, I would not serve my kid or kids a, a TV dinner. Like we would have to come on some really hard times and it would have to be like, I don't even know if that's a justification because I know what I can do with even food, yeah. you know, like good food doesn't have to be expensive. Like good food. If you go to the right place, is at a good price? Like, yeah. So. Yeah. I, it wasn't that long ago that like Campbell's was the top of the line. That was yep. what people chose because it was the best. Um, and honestly, my palate still like draws me to those things. Like I, I similarly ate like tuna noodle casserole. <laughs> that was, that was like something that was normal in my house. Um, so those, those flavors aren't too far off for me. And I still crave some of those home style meals from my childhood, but now knowing what's in them, man, I'm not going to do that to my body very often. No, no. And I think too, of it's like, I think about the same thing because I've, you know, much like you, there's there's comfort foods. I think about like meatloaf's a big one with me. And like my grandmother would make meatloaf like in the convection oven slash microwave and like put ketchup all over. And it was like, it was the meatloaf. But now I think about that and I'm like, wow, um, that's very different than the way that I would prepare meatloaf. But I still crave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like... I think you go by, I've got so many memories of like going out hunting or fishing as a kid and like stopping at the gas station on the way. And like, it was like the brown food cabinet of like pizza pockets and corn dogs. And like, I will admit it's hard to pass up a corn dog sometimes. Uh, just cause like, not only do it, corn dogs are designed to be like satisfying, like they hit all the flavor notes, but it's also that nostalgia of like, I'm going out fishing with my grandfather. Like it takes me back to like 10 year old Justin of like, Hey, what do you want to get? Oh, Mountain Dew and a corn dog. Off I go to go fish. Like takes me back to those memories as well. So it's, uh, it definitely see the relation, but I, I think that my family, if they had known or, uh, there would have been something around that time, like we definitely would have eaten much different. So I think that's, that's a good evolution yeah. to see. Yeah, it is a good evolution to see. Just cleaner food in general and having some transparency about where your food comes from. It's been a trend for at least a decade, but now you're starting to see it in the snack food world and in the freeze-dried food world, which is cool. Yep, I think it's awesome. Um, all right, so what's what's the full lineup? Can you take us through what, what you got going on right now? And then I want to talk... 
you posted on Instagram, or I don't know if you, whoever runs your social media, posted with some some interesting flavor thoughts. And oh, I, w- so I want to see. You want to know the current menu? Current menu. Okay, uh, so the current menu is we have two breakfasts. We have a caramelized banana and butternut squash oat bowl, which is like. It's also chai spiced. I don't ever know what to, like what notes to call it, but it's this like really beautiful, rich, hearty oatmeal bowl that is like crunchy and sweet and salty and savory, um, but like loaded with all the right things to start the day. That's the oat bowl. The bison hash is this chorizo that we make in house um, from bison and pork. It's like kind of spicy, um, but more just like smoky and this breakfast scramble that goes with it really hearty got this awesome tomatillo salsa that's like bright and perfect for it that's and we that's have my, five that's my favorite the bison hash yes yeah the bison hash is is pretty great i actually just had it i've very rarely get the best of the best meals like i don't ever just like go to the shelf and buy a meal because we're constantly running out so i get all like the weird screwed up versions Um, and this weekend was my second time ever eating bison hash. That was normal. Like I got to eat bison hash, like a normal person who would buy a meal. It was so good. I was like, Oh my God, I crushed this. I'm amazing. Um, (laughs) but normally I like, you know, I get the bison hash and it doesn't have salsa or, you know, I get the opal and there's no pecans. Like I just, I always get the screwed up ones that are, um, we have to deal with. So anyways, we got the two breakfasts. We have five lunch and dinners. There's um, the rigatoni, the farfalle, the green curry, the yogurt chicken, and the pasole. So there are all these different flavor notes from different regions in the world, places that I've either loved visiting, love a dish from, like think about it as comfort food, or just know that we like absolutely nail this recipe. So really delicious, naturally high in protein because um, just the way that the dishes are and totally balanced. What that lunch and dinner lineup also has is like gluten-free, dairy-free, vegetarian. There's all sorts of different options built into there. And that wasn't intentional. It's just kind of the way that I cook is um, balanced. So those five lunch and dinner options, we have two dessert options, a huckleberry freeze-dried ice cream sandwich and a peach cobbler with house-made vanilla ice cream. So delicious. Um... And that's for the freeze-dried lineup. That's what we've got. We also have a line of trail mix, similar ethos, like all the things that we know and trust about real food, actual protein, no fake sugars, no like added things to reach calories. It's just like pure nuts, really deliciously cooked, some of them in butter. So <laughs> high calorie, pretty great. I'm, uh, so which one, is, which one is your favorite, do you think? Of the freeze-dried meals? Mm-hmm. Well, right. Well, okay. When I killed the mule deer last week, I had been saving this peach cobbler, um, for like a celebratory moment. And every weekend I was driving home like no peach cobbler. I don't get to eat peach cobbler. (laughs) Um, so I knew that if I killed an animal, I also had this peach cobbler waiting for me. And as soon as I got to the truck. I like dropped my pack and started heating up water. I was like, yes, peach cobbler. And it was so good. Uh, I think the peach cobbler for some reason, I don't know. You know that 
I haven't had that one. I, it's in my meal box, and I too, I've been saving it for like a point where we're me and my family are all out versus just me solo, and like we can all taste and enjoy it because I. Yeah, it seems really special because I like the the ice cream. The fact that there's ice cream in this like packable meal, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Note note to self: don't make ice cream in any of the future meals because making ice cream for like four hundred meals is hilarious. Just hilarious. Just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I I could only imagine. I I mean. Yeah. I'm not a uh, I'm not a dessert maker. I'm not a patissier. I'm not a baker. I'm none of these things. So when I hear about people crafting desserts, I just like I can only imagine the struggles that you go through. I could only imagine the struggles that I would go through even more. But like, yeah, I appreciate yeah. a good dessert for that. So thank you, thank you, you for yeah. thank you for struggling to make delicious ice cream for us all. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It is, it is certainly a struggle, but then I get out there and I eat it. I'm like, oh, that was worth it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. I could. Yeah. Um, so on Instagram, I was perusing the other day, uh, and I saw that you had kicked out some thoughts on some new meals, uh, biscuits and gravy, shepherd's pie Mm -hmm. and flourless dark chocolate cake. So any reveal on the front runner or is it still still a secret um well according to instagram the people would like their biscuits and gravy and i i'm all good with that i think that's awesome and i'm i've already made one round of biscuits and gravy and it's delicious it's gonna be amazing um but i'm also simultaneously testing the shepherd's pie And that's not something that I was willing to share. Like I did want people to have a preference for like the one that comes first, Mm -hmm. but I do want to have another menu item on our dinner, mostly because I think that it's lacking the like one, like super, hmm, what's the word? Like very homey, not fine dining at all. Like doesn't even speak to that in any way, but still done with our skill set and like our attention to detail and quality ingredients. I wanted that one meal that was like, I know that meal. Um, so that's the shepherd's pie and I'm currently working on it. So I think the, the, um, biscuits and gravy and the shepherd's pie will similar be like similar timing because I'm currently working on both of them right now. I'm excited about, about both. So I'm excited about both. Like, yeah. it sounds great. I uh, I forget if I commented or not on what I thought. I think I was like, this is probably too far, too far in to really uh, think about it or to chime in. Um, but no, happy to hear. Yeah. Happy to hear the results for sure. Yeah. And we, like those flavor selections came from a list of 25 things that I wanted to work on. And some of it I still will work on. But for the most part, people have told us through the last year, um, we're about to celebrate Gastrom's two-year anniversary. So I guess through the last two years, people have been like, oh, have you thought about this? I'd really love this. Um, This is my favorite thing that I eat from another place. If you could do it with real ingredients and trustworthy sources, um, that would be amazing. So that list has kind of come in through the years. And I've taken note of every single time someone has said something. And what it's pointing to is like people really want a homey dish, like biscuits and mm-hmm. gravy. Give it to me, like that's what they want. Mm-hmm. 
I think so. Yeah. In those really terrible moments when you're cold and wet and sitting in your tent yeah. and frustrated because it's been a rough day of not seeing any elk. Sorry. Speaking personal experience, not <laughs> not not shining through on any of your cereal uh, of just like all I want to do is just eat this meal and I want to enjoy it. Otherwise, I'm just going to cry. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it also tells you a lot about my one emotional stability and two, what I go to when I'm feeling down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. I am the same. Just give me the peach cobbler and let me go home. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to have to order some more so that it can put it back, put it consistently in. Yeah. Um, so th- this is a, this is an odd question. What's the craziest place that you've eaten? You've eaten one of your meals, like out in the back country, like a memorable moment or like something, I don't know, something fun or exciting. I mean, you've shared some fun and exciting ones already. So. Yeah. Um, can it be, where other people eat them because I'm these days I'm really not that far from home and all of my adventures are like within a radius of where I can um, generally drive to because I I do want to stick close to work most of the time but I get constant emails from the coolest places around the world Um, Ellesmere Island where a friend of ours who works for Nat Geo was studying wolves and he brought a case with him and was sending us these like ridiculously amazing photos from a place that I've never even dreamed of. And um, I know they went to Everest and uh, a gal who took them to Everest sent us a picture from base camp, like wearing a gastronome hat. Um, Some like crazy remote places in Alaska, these glaciers that I had to Google and like try to find on a map and be like, what are you, how did you even get there? Um, so all of these, uh, oh, I just got this great one um, somewhere in Patagonia on a pack rafting trip. Someone had sent me a photo just of a, a camp next to a river that like what an incredible thing to be able to go on so many journeys through our food and be able to support so many people on different, totally different objectives like mm-hmm. climbing Everest, pack rafting in Patagonia, work in Ellesmere Island for studying wolves. Um, glacier climbing, like whatever people can dream up, we get to fuel. And that is the craziest part. Like who cares what I'm doing? I'm going to and from work and looking for deer, but uh, like, <laughs> the thing that other no, people like are it. doing with our food, it, mm-hmm. every time I get an, an email in my inbox, I'm like, you are amazing. People are amazing. I'm so happy to be able to give fuel to these people. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I was thinking about my probably one of my favorite moments. I think I, I may have sent you the picture, or I think AFI used it uh, and and tagged. But we were it was Father's Day weekend. We went up to Breckenridge uh, here in Colorado and up to one of the lakes that we went to the year before when we first got here, and like up at like ten thousand feet. Um, but we decided above this lake. There's another like alpine lake and I just got one of those Tinkara fly rods and I was like, I want us to go to the top of this alpine lake and I want to fish. And uh, it's like June. I think that's when Father's Day is. I don't know. Uh, yes. I think June time. <laughs> um, so we go, we go hike and it's like a three and a half mile hike to get up there. And so I'm carrying my son, Remy, on one of those little like kid pack things. My daughter who's who's 10. She's scurrying along with us. My wife is there. We're all like going up. And so it's June. So 
any snow that is still in existence. And so this glacier is up at like 12,000 feet. So we have to hike like this three and a half mile and like gain 2000 feet of elevation or like, so we, we get up there and, uh, it was like a hiking trail and a Jeep trail, but I was like, this seems ridiculous for Jeeps to be up here. Uh, cause it was pretty craggly in some spots, but there's also like, as snow is melting, water's running down. And so the trail is also this like pseudo Creek as well. Uh, as things are draining, we get to the top and like, I'm beat their beat. Like we're getting up there. We're just looking forward to sitting down and enjoying some gastronome. We've all got, everybody's got a meal and, uh, we get up there to the top and there's like, there's a pack of Jeeps, like six or seven Jeeps. And they're like grilling and drinking beer and hanging out. Oh and I was God. like, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like we just hiked for like three, <laughs> four hours to get up here. These guys are just enjoying they some broths. Yeah. And then we get up to the, we get to the lake and like the lake is still partially frozen. And I'm like, what? Like it's June. How is this possible? So we, we, heat up water and and have meals and uh you know i said my wife and kids got their meal first and i'm like messing with the fly rod and like the other fishing rod that we took up like trying to catch a fish in this like alpine lake i wanted to tell this big yeah it was partially frozen like i wanted to tell this big great story and you know all this other stuff and uh it was our big adventure for the weekend and then then it starts sleeting like i kid you not in July, it's still like just starts belting and like we're all scrambling to uh, get it. And before it started, I managed to like hold the bag up and like take the picture of like <laughs> with the lake in the background and the mountain and the snow and all that. And but then it started sleeting. And then we like scramble. Like my son is crying because he's getting pelted oh with God. sleet. Like we're getting him in the pack. Like everybody's hoods on and stuff. And I enjoy my meal going back down the trail, like eating it, carrying oh. my kid, just like <laughs> what just happened. And then the Jeeps oh. like pass us and we're like, what? <laughs> but that's my favorite moment because wow. in, in like in that moment of uh, chaos and fury, like I was like, all right, I'm going to enjoy this warm meal uh, and it's going to be delicious. And it was the the bison bison hash. And so I was like. I'm I'm satisfied, and we hiked all the way back down, and then we went back to the hotel we were staying at in Breckenridge, and just like all passed out. <laughs> like we were beat. Wow. We're just like we're done. So what an epic little adventure. Yeah, just you know, just a couple hour trip, but uh, it, it was fun. Yeah, was good good food I'm, though. I'm glad yeah. we were able to support that. Um, yeah, Thank honestly, you. emergency situations like that uh, it happens all the time. Yeah, no, it does. Um, unfortunately but all right let's man we've uh we're coming up a little bit on the end of time um uh, maybe like talk a little bit about food a little more if you're okay with that sure um because i want to shift a little bit to wild food yeah uh some so thinking about um we talked a lot about sort of how how the food and the outdoors sort of intersected for you so i won't go there again but um favorite game meat you have a favorite i mean i definitely do it's gonna be bear by a long shot bear is my favorite game meat um i one i think the stigma around it is Mm -hmm. like the most exciting part of cooking with it is that it is so delicious you don't have to do a lot to make it delicious 
Um, and just like shooting down that stigma for everyone I get to cook for and eat with is part of my favorite. The reason why it's my favorite meat to cook with is like, this is beautiful. People should eat this. People should not be so afraid of it. And it's quite simple to work with. You don't have to do a lot. And especially because when I, when I killed my bear this season, I had to stop off at a gas station and get another cooler. He was bigger than I thought he was going to be. <laughs> I went in there and it's a good I was, problem. Yeah, I was talking to the guy at the gas station and I told him, oh, I'm just getting a, another cooler for the rest of my bear. And he goes, oh, you don't need another cooler. You know what you need to do? You need to go out back and dump it in the dumpster. And I was like, oh, no way. Okay. I, mean. I have, what? And he was like, Those, that meat's disgusting. You shouldn't eat it. And I was like, okay, well, one, I've never had bear meat before, but I've never found meat that's disgusting. So I'm sure that's not the case. It was not the case. So that is, that's my favorite game meat to work with. It's, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite meal with it? No, but I, I've never made the same thing twice, um, with the bear, I should say. Uh, but I did make, so, you know, Mapo tofu, it's like this delicious Mm -hmm. Chinese dish, um, with the the only, the only way I will eat tofu. I'm not a tofu fan, but I will (laughs) eat it that way just because the dish itself is like very delicious. Oh, it's so good. Um, but if you haven't had it before, it's, it's got numbing Szechuan peppercorns, lots of, um, really intense Chinese flavors that are spicy and umami bombs and so delicious. I made it with bear. I think that was the best way I've had bear. I'm, I'm going to have to try it. I'm hoping. Yeah. I got to get a bear first, but yeah, you got to go get a bear and we'll add it to the list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, that's phenomenal. Yeah. I like that. That's a good dish. Um, do you have a tip that you would give for folks who might be new to cooking wild game, a tip or trick or a thought? You know, most of the, the time when I talk to people about wild game is they always say like, Oh, I thought, I thought you couldn't eat it medium rare. I thought that you always had to cook this all the way through. Or have, I have you been that, sitting in the Hunter's Ed class in Colorado? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but that's like basically you. Yeah. Whenever you talk to people about cooking wild game, and I don't know if this happens to you too, because you probably have these conversations often. People are like, "Oh, you just gotta like cook it forever in a crock pot." Oh, you gotta like all these things around wild game that just aren't true. So I would tell people my number one tip is to work with the meat like you work with any other meat and learn Mm -hmm. for yourself. Um, Take really good notes about what you discover in that process, but listen to yourself. Like there's definitely facts out there at which point, like what degree does trichinosis die? That's a good thing to know. Um, But it's not 250 degrees. So you don't need to be boiling meat to do that. Um, So yes, take facts and then be creative, treat the meat like you would any other meat and take notes and create your own system of how you treat that meat. Um, because following what other people are doing, like to the best of my understanding, people don't know how to work with game meat in like the general sense. Um, and it's cool to see people experiment and learn their own ways of doing it and go against the grain. Like, Oh, Mule dare is disgusting. You have to turn it into like really heavy tacos every time. 
that's like literally not true, but you hear it all the time. People say like the meat's so gross. You can't do anything with it except like turn it into tamales. That's just not true. Same Um, for antelope. I see your antelope back there. I'm, I am an antelope fan as well. Uh, I, I love, it's probably my favorite. Um, and people just like, they're like, no, I can't. And I'm like, you're missing out. Right. I think antelope meat is amazing. It tastes to me very similar to pork. And when people Mm -hmm. say that it's not good, they're like, oh, it's gross. It's just like garbage meat. I'm like, all right, let's start this whole conversation over. Have you worked with it before? Okay, you have not. Let's let's like go all the way back to square one then and think of, you know, what would you do with ground beef? Let's see how that tastes with ground antelope and really formulate your own opinions from your own cooking before listening to like this meat is bad. You can only do this. Just be willing to experiment and use the facts to create dishes. No, I 100% agree with you. Um, yeah. So how can folks, uh, where can folks get your products and how they, can they connect with, with you? Um, the easiest way to get our meals, it, we do have a storefront in Bozeman, which is fantastic. If you live in Bozeman, come into the shop, say hi. We are always there. There's only three of us who work at Gastronome. And if you enter the building, you will either meet me, Matthew, or Ray. Um, and we would love to see you. We've got the full lineup of stuff there. Um, but the other way to do it is if you're anywhere other than Bozeman is go on our website, gastronomemeals.com. We ship two-day shipping. Our meals go anywhere in the United States, including Hawaii and Alaska. So if you're out there, we got you. And if you need to reach me, I respond to our Instagram. I respond to the emails that are on our website. If you go team at gastronomemeals.com, that's eventually going to get to me. We have a phone number listed on there. There's so many ways to get in touch with us, but we are... (laughs) We're super responsive. Um, email's probably the best. Instagram second best. Awesome. And uh, do, you, do you have a last thought or idea, concept, comment, statement, question? Doesn't matter. Nothing's okay to you that you would want to leave the, the listeners with. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking about like the listeners that are here for this podcast um, to continually be creative with their food. Like be... Mm never endingly creative what's the worst that can happen well i can maybe you'll you'll start a business from it (laughs) right all of a sudden (laughs) you're like you know what i'm going to cook things yeah um i will say for folks that if you if you are interested in some good sorry i'm going to do a shameless plug here i guess i can uh if uh first off Make sure you go follow Gastronome's social media. Go check out the website. Go see, buy, taste the awesome things that Shannon and her team have going on there because I'm a big fan. Um, but secondly, talking about learning more about wild food, if you want to get more into some cool tidbits, facts, histories, all this stuff behind some of the things that we do at Harvesting Nature – Check out the Antler and Finn podcast, which is hosted by my buddy Adam Berkelman. Uh, Adam is a phenomenal uh, cook and very food conscious person, and he goes deep into the world of whatever we're talking about. I we released today. Um, man, I'm gonna have to pull it up. It is a uh, it's a liver recipe, and so what we do is we pull recipes from our website. 
And then Adam spends probably like 15 minutes or so, but he talks a lot about the history and stuff behind a particular dish. Um, but he goes into even more detail, cultural, all this stuff. So we had today was venison kale G masala or like liver curry. And, uh, he went on this like seven minute, like diving into reason, seven different reasons as to why people may have be turned off from liver. And it goes from everything to like bad experiences as a kid to like misinformation of like fat and cholesterol are not good for you. The liver's uh, a filter and it has all these bad things in it. Like he goes through the gambit, but, and then he walks you through like ingredient and by ingredient, step by step, like through the dish, which I think is super cool. I listen to all of them, not just because I sometimes post them on our website, but because I, I listened to it again today in the, in the van going to work. And I was just like, I was super pumped. I was like, I love this stuff. I'm a big, as folks know or not know, I'm a big food nerd. And so I like, I like hearing about and reading about things that I myself am not reading or writing about or writing or talking about. So it's always cool, but go check that out podcast. If you get a minute, minute, uh, Adam does a really great job and I'm excited to see the continual evolution of this show. Uh, it's on whatever podcast platform. So we called it antler and Finn. Shannon, maybe you'll appreciate this because those are the things that people chase, but they're not the things that you eat. And I like the irony in it of like, hmm. yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, it's a fun show. And then, uh, so thanks everybody for listening and we'll include links to everything, uh, as always in the show notes. And then, um, like I mentioned earlier, make sure you go follow the gastronome on, on social media and then whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five star button, leave us a review, tell us we're doing right or, you know, tell us we're doing wrong, but thanks everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>